We've come to the time in our service, and we do this every single week, where we turn our attention to the Word of God. We turn to the Bible because we believe that God has spoken to us from the Bible, and it's our conviction, it's God's promise, and it's our conviction and our experience that the words that we find in the Scripture give us life. They show us how to do life. And so today we come to the Scripture, and we're going to be in Matthew, Mark, sorry, Mark chapter 15, Mark chapter 15. If you're going to use one of your pew Bibles, you're going to find the text on page 863, Mark ch- chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 33 through 36. For some reason, you don't really like the gospel of Mark. It's too short for you or something. You can read the exact same thing, word for word, in Matthew chapter 27, beginning with the 45th verse. They're identical to get to one another. And we're continuing in our series today entitled Echoes. And um, we, we've been looking at the statements that Christ made from the cross that continue to echo down through history to us. And they have the same power today as they did when they were spoken over 2,000 years ago from the cross. So last week, we looked at his very first statement and it, where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if you weren't here to catch into that, you can go on our website and listen to that. Just click on the tab for all sermons, and it'll take you right to our series, Echoes. Monday, at Carol Albee's funeral, I dealt with the text. As Jesus spoke to the repentant thief on the cross, where he said, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to refer a little bit to that today in today's sermon. The third statement which, for the sake of time, we're just going to (laughs) ignore, comes from the Gospel of John, where he says, Jesus, from the cross, looks down, sees Mary, his mother, sees the Apostle John, and he says, you know, woman, behold your son, and and he says to John, he says, behold your mother, and the two unite. We're we're just going to kind of set that aside. If you have any questions about that, you can see an elder, and they'd be glad to answer what that all is all about. But today we're going to come to what I think is, is, is really one of, the, one of the most painful, one of the most humbling statements that Christ ever made. Because it's, it's, it's one of those statements, and, and I think uh, hopefully as, as the message progresses today, you're going to develop an appreciation for this. But this statement, basically it just, if there's any mask, any covering, any way that the full that somehow the, the full price of what Jesus paid in order for you and I to have a relationship with him, that th- this, this statement peels all of that back and it lays it out on the table before us stark and naked. And, and it's extremely humbling. It's painful. It creates grief for us as we consider this statement. But I want to temper that just a little bit. You know, as we look at this statement and all the horror that goes with it, I want to remind us that what Jesus is going through, he's going through for us because he loves us. You know, what, what we're willing to do for something is an expression of how much it matters to us, what value it has for us, right? You know, what you're willing to pay for something is an indication of how much it matters to you, what value you place on it. You know, I, I, I came across a statistic just this week, you know, um, I was looking for it, 
And in August 2014, at auction, somebody paid $34.5 million for a 1962 Ferrari. Now, some of you are thinking, who, you know, but obviously this guy, this person, because I don't know, it might have been a woman, this person had more money than they knew what to do with, right? Everybody agreed? You know, if you're going to spend $34 million on a car, you know, but, but on top of that, this person must have really wanted this car, right, to spend that kind of money. When we look at this passage of Scripture, it is, it, it is designed to be a powerful echo coming down through history saying, you really matter. Yes, what he went through, what happened, the experience is absolutely horrific. But the only reason it happened is because you really matter. This is what God was willing to go through in order to have a relationship with you and have a relationship with me. So let's look at this passage just real quickly. And then, uh, and, and then I just want to kind of unpack it just a little bit. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. This is... This is one of the harder kind of messages for me because I'm a logical kind of guy. So I, I love it when it's like point one, point two, point three, point you know. And when you get into something that's more, more poetic, more touchy feely, it's harder for me to put that all into clear terms. And, and and I hope somehow or another that that will actually happen today as we go through all of this. But um, let me just read these verses for you. Matthew, Mark chapter 15, verse 33, down through 36. When it was noon, so this is noontime on Good Friday, Jesus is already nailed to the cross. The sign's already up, and there's already been kind of all this stuff's going on, and, and he's hanging on the cross. It was noontime. He, he might have been up there already for three hours or more. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. We know from a different gospel that it was due to a solar eclipse, but the, the, the imagery was intentional by God. Darkness is always associated with, with life without God, the absence of God, with, uh, the life of sin, a, a place where there's no hope, where there's no joy, where there, and, and that kind of thing. And, so, and at three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. So in the midst of the darkness... You hear this cry, and, and it's, it's, it, it's really, the word there is much more of a scream, right? Jesus was on the cross, and he screams out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, look, he's calling for Elijah. And in, in all likelihood, they're, they're, this is still part of that process by which they're, they're making fun of Jesus, you know, because th- th- there isn't any way this fra- phrase, Eloi, Eloi, sounds anything like the name Elijah in Aramaic or Hebrew. So they're saying, you know, oh, he's getting desperate now. You know, he's calling for Elijah. Kind of, so there's, it's still part of their mocking of him. And so they look, he's calling for Elijah. So someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, and he fixed it on a reed and offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down. Comes to take him down. So we're just going to stop with those three verses today. Now, 
in the midst of this darkness, when, when there's this imagery that the full, the full weight, the full dimension of what it means to be separated from God is now on display across the land. Jesus is hanging on the cross and, and, he, and, he, and he pushes up on the spikes of his feet and, use, and with the spikes that are stuck through his hands, he pulls up to try to fill his lungs with, with, with the oxygen and he cries out at the top of his voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he screams in the midst of the darkness. And, and it, I gotta tell you, you know, as, as I was studying this again afresh this week, if you and I don't understand what this passage is all about, we really don't understand Christianity. Because this passage gets all at the heart of what it means to be redeemed by substitution. This gets at the heart of what it means for you and I to have a relationship with God because Jesus has taken our place and by our faith in him, we get to take his place in paradise. And if, if we don't get this, we really don't get Christianity. And somehow or another, Christianity can get into those, one of those places, well, this is the, one of those things where it kind of helps me solve my problems and make me feel better or give me the energy and courage to live the way I should and all that kind of stuff. And, it, and, 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 and there's way too many people who are embracing Christianity that way. But this, this cry from the cross is at the heart and soul of understanding that the reason you and I can have a connection with God it's because Jesus took our place. So let's look at a couple things with this statement is not. This is not a cry against God. This isn't Jesus on the cross, and even though his hands are nailed to the cross, it's not him shaking his fist at God and saying, well, if this is the way you're going to treat me. It's not a cry of anger. It's not a cry of, of, of rejection. It's not a cry of frustration. It's not a cry of doubt. It's not, a, it's not a cry of trying to push God away. It's none of those things. So that, that is not what it... One of the amazing things about looking at Jesus on the cross is that he's no whiner. <laughs> he's not a whiner. And he's not whining in this passage. The second thing I want you... This is really isn't a question. Jesus, Jesus isn't saying, hanging on a cross saying, God, I don't understand what's going on. Explain it to me. Why? Why? You know, why are you forsaking me? It's not a question. Jesus already knows. You can go look at John chapter 8. I think it's verses like 28 and 29 and there. He says, you know, I already know. I'm going to be lifted up. I know everything that's going to happen. <laughs> you know, this isn't a question where Jesus is confused about what's happening or he doesn't understand what's going on. It's not, it's not either one of those things. What this cry is, for, first of all, this, this is a cry of, of faith on Jesus' part. This is, it's not a cry, it's not a scream against God. It's not a, it's not a, a petition for answers. It is a scream of faith. Jesus hangs on the cross, and notice what he says. It's my God. My God. Jesus doesn't feel distanced 
from God. He doesn't feel like that somehow or another that God's turned out to be somebody that he didn't really understand, that the father somehow was different than what he expected. He's still possessing God. He said, this is my God. It's a, it's a cry of faith, if you will, as he reaches out and, and he's reaching out to God and said, my God, my God, it's still that possessiveness that goes with all of that. And, and knowing all that was going to happen, knowing that he was going to be lifted up, knowing that that meant that he was going to land up being forsaken, he cries out with a scream of faith, trusting in the Father. But it's also a scream of obedience. And probably one of the things that you and I don't recognize is that these words were not original with Jesus. If you look in our pew Bibles, these words are in bold black. And you know why that is? Because they're a quote from the Old Testament. Specifically, this comes out of Psalm chapter 22. And, you know, if you're taking notes, you want to make a note in the corner. In Psalm chapter 22. And back in the days before they would have chapter and verse, because the original scrolls that were written, it, you know, you didn't have Mark 15 verses, you know, 33, 34, 35. It was just one long scroll, right? And so that was true as well. So the Psalms, most of them were identified by the very first lines that were in the Psalms. So when they were were referring to something, trying to get a reference back, they would point and, and they would use as a marker the very first statement. And in Psalm chapter 22, which comes to be known as a messianic psalm, in other words, the one who has come to be the Messiah, to be the Christ, the very first line of that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the very first line. And so Jesus reaches out and he uses this. And, and what he is, he, he is confessing to everyone who's there to hear, I am willing to be the Messiah. We've got uh, several uh, verses from Psalm 22 that I just want to show you. Here's this first one. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Sounds familiar, right? Because we see that out of the lips of Jesus. And so he's referring, he said, remember that psalm back there, Psalm chapter 22? Yeah, the psalm right before the one everybody knows, Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my child. You know, that, that psalm, remember that one about the Messiah? That's, that's me. And I'm willing to do that, and I am doing that. He says, why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Look at these further verses in, in chapter, Psalm 22. It says, everyone who sees me mocks me. What's happening at the cross? I mean, they're all standing around and they're mocking him. Hey, you know, I wonder if Elijah's going to come for him, you know, kind of idea. It says they sneer at me and they shake their heads. Some of you grew up with the versions that talk about they wag their heads at him, right? And they're doing the same thing. It's the science. They're wagging, they're, they're shaking their heads, and he, he relies on the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he takes pleasure in him. And that's exactly what they're shouting to Jesus, right? From around, hey, you know, you're going to save others, you know, have God come save that. You know, and, and, and it's, 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 it's spot on what's happening to him. And he's saying, remember that psalm that referred to the Messiah? That's what I'm doing, and I'm doing it freely. It's a scream of obedience. But it's also a scream of fulfillment. And this is really where they want us to park just a little bit that there wasn't any way 
for the salvation that you and I enjoy and experience through our faith in Jesus Christ. There was no way for that to come to pass without the Christ being forsaken. And so as Jesus hangs on the cross, he he declares, and he's going to do this later, and we're going to see these in the words of, of John where he says it is finished, but he is declaring in a different way the journey, what was necessary for me to be the Messiah, to, to be able to be the substitute that pays the penalty for all the sin of the world, that's being fulfilled. And so he, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's like a statement to say everybody, to everybody else, you, I have been forsaken so that you can be accepted, so that you can be forgiven. We, we've sung a song along those lines by Chris Tomlin here at Hope Chapel. You know, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. Um, I'm accepted, but you were rejected. I think that's how it goes. I make up words when I sing them. It's one of the spiritual gifts that God has given me. You know, and so, <laughs> but you get the gist. And, and you know, this comes right out of Isaiah. I mean, let me just read a couple verses to you from Isaiah chapter 53. He says, he was despised, rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He, he was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. And as Jesus is is hanging on the cross, he, he he is yelling out at the top of his lungs that the requirement that the Messiah be forsaken so that you could be forgiven it's happening. It's happening. Now, listen, I, 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 this is where it's, it's a little bit more difficult for us to get the full. Sometimes when we think about the suffering that Christ went through, what we think about is the physical abuse that Jesus went through to pay the price for our sin. And it's considerable. You know, he was, he was beaten, you know, this, the scripture tells us he was scourged. And, and so uh, the, 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 the whips that they used, that the Romans used, they, you know, they were long strips of leather, and they would embed little pieces of bone in them. And so the, the original lashes were used to literally just to, to pulverize the back, to make it just soft meat. And then the, the other whips that they would use had little pieces of metal in them. And they made sure when they did it, they came down the back so that when it, when it grabbed into the flesh, they would drag it down through and just rip the flesh open as it happened. And so Jesus, his is, 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 is back is just laid open like one piece of just bloody meat. And then they put a robe on him so that it, just like gauze pad, right, it can just all stick to it. And just when it starts to scab up a little bit, they peel it all off. And then here's a guy who's been beaten. He hasn't slept all night, sleep deprivation, because 
Wood was in a scarcity that they, just like they did over and over again, they used the same cross beams to crucify these guys. And so they, they, Jesus is forced to carry a beam. And they say, the scripture tells us as we read the full story that when he got to the edge of the city, he was just so exhausted, literally he was just collapsing under the weight of carrying this cross beam. So they forced another guy, Simon of Cyrene, to carry it for him which the Romans, by law, were legally could do. And he carries the beam out for Jesus. When they get there, they use six or seven-inch spikes to nail his hands and his feet to the cross. And, and part of the impact of this is that the, the, the respiratory impact is that, that, that in order to get a full breath, because you're hanging literally by your arms. The only way to get a full breath is to pull on those spikes and to push on them through your feet to get your chest up so it could fully expand and draw the air. And it's just agony every time, literally, to breathe. And what killed most people on the cross was suffocation. They literally just suffocated because they could not breathe deeply enough. All of that stuff is horrific. But... The thing that was most painful for Christ, where the real horror of what it costs God to have Christ be substituted for us when it comes to our wrath and God's wrath towards sin was his abandonment, the fact that he had to be forsaken. The Son of God, and the Father had been fully, completely connected and unified for all eternity. But in that moment, when Jesus became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, you see the substitution. He became the sin that we've lived so that we could become his righteousness. When that happens, God has to turn his face away. And the full wrath of God just comes pouring out on Christ. And, 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 I, and I don't know if I have the words to express what it's like to be alone for the very first time in eternity. You know, my grandmother on my mother's side, she lived for 20 plus years after my grandfather died. She lived to be 96. And I can remember talking to my grandmother in her early 90s. She's still living in the family home in Waltham. And, and, and I can remember her saying to me, you know, that even after all those years, the hardest thing for her was climbing the stairs at the end of the day to go to bed, knowing that there was nobody else in the house. The hardest thing was just being alone in the darkness. When I was in Rwanda, you know, when we first get there, it's, it's hard to get into the right sleep patterns, right? You know, it's, you know, and so, you know, three o'clock in the morning there, it's like, you know, nine o'clock at night here. And so you just, you get asleep and then if you wake up, forget it, you know? So, so sometimes, you know, I was just taking these over the counter kind of Tylenol PMs. So at the beginning and I, and, and, and I took them back to back nights and two nights in a row, I had nightmares, so I just stopped taking them. I don't know if that was the cause or not, but I was having nightmares when I took a couple of them. But I don't remember what one of the nightmares was. I remember what the other one was. So the nightmare was that my wife, Christina, had decided to leave me because I was too fat 
and I wouldn't lose weight. You know, and so now, I know that's funny, and I hope it's never true, though I'm probably, you know, anyway, so that's a different story. But you know, when I woke up out of that nightmare, I got to tell you that the feeling, the anguish was, you know, when when you're in the, you think, you you know, you're, this person who is your life is gone and they're never coming back in again. The sense of anguish that I felt in that dream was just horrible. I mean, and, and, and that's only a dream. So here's the son of God hanging on a cross who's never spent one millisecond in all of eternity separated from the father. And he's forced to taste that which he abhors the most, which is sin. And in the midst of that, God has to turn his face away. And he is forsaken by God. And the reason that happened is because you and I aren't the people that God designed us to be. In order for us to have a relationship with him, he's got to have somebody who takes his place. And Jesus was that person. Christ became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And again, I, I, I don't want to play this out too much, but you think as God, as Jesus hung on the cross and he became sin, you know, it, the, all of the horror that God has at our sinfulness is what he sees in Jesus. All of, the, all of the anger, the righteous anger that God has through the things like the Holocaust and the genocide and the sexual violence and the immorality and the idolatry and the list just goes on and on. It just All of that, all of that that created this tremendous indignation inside of God, it's all poured out and personified in the sun. And Jesus did that. Because he cares about us. So I, I always like to have some so what's as we kind of process this, this, this out. So here's a couple of, of so what's that I want for us. First of all, if you are basing your sense of self-value on anything other than what God thinks of you, you're in a sad position. It's not what your coach thinks of you. It's not what your supervisor thinks about you. It's not what your spouse thinks about you. It's not what your family thinks about you. It's not what your neighbors think about you, your colleagues or anything. What what you need to be basing your self-value on is that this is what God was willing to do to have a relationship with you. That's the price he was willing to pay so that he could live with you forever. So you matter. I matter. The other is this. You and I are going to be forsaken in one way or another. We're either going to be covered by our faith in Christ, by the blanket forsakenness of Christ, or when the moment comes of judgment, we individually, like Jesus, are going to have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
There isn't any way to avoid that experience of being forsaken. And we can experience it either by faith, through substitution, and what Christ did on the cross, or we're going to experience it personally for ourselves at the day of judgment. There isn't any way around it. So this is a cry from the cross to all of us. Jesus said, there is no need for you to be forsaken because I've been forsaken. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You know, I think there there are lots of people who attend church semi-regularly who who really in many ways, they've known about God's love and Jesus and his great teachings and et cetera, but they've never really been converted. They've never switched places with Jesus where all of their sin by their faith and belief and trust in Christ is placed upon him on the cross. And with that, we get to become the righteousness of God in him. And, And it's my pleasure this morning, my privilege in echoing this scream from the cross, it's your chance to be forgiven because he was forsaken, because you matter that much to God. Let's pray together for just a minute. We'll give just a, just a moment just allow you to replay the tape just a minute in your life and say, was there ever a time when you said, you know what? I need to be forgiven. And you've asked for it specifically and intentionally to experience that forgiveness through what Christ did on the cross. Has that ever been your experience? If it is, I'm going to challenge you to give thanks to God for the price that he was willing to pay because you matter that much. But if not, if you're just not sure, you don't know if you've ever been forgiven because Christ was forsaken, you can can pray a prayer like this in your heart. God, I finally realize that that I matter to you. That I really, really matter to you. Father, I need to be forgiven. I believe that Jesus was forsaken so that I can be forgiven. And I place my faith in him. It doesn't mean you have to understand all that that means. You just have to believe that Jesus was forsaken as the son of God so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. God, thank you for the cry of Christ from the cross. It was a cry that was designed to echo down through history so that we could sit in a warm room 
at 35 Chocksa Road in Sterling Mass and have no doubt that you love us, that the price for our forgiveness 